I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the 100th episode of the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Happy 100th. Yay. Happy Centennial. How yes. Do we, how do we say it? Centennial? Cent- I centennial. But I think that's in years, not... Am I wrong? Uh, well, you know what? I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Well, so in every episode, this is your first episode, what we typically do is we start off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we have been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film phase, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, I put up a question on the Instagram the Gibson 99, asking people what they would like to see us do for our 100th episode. And in the last episode, I had said that I was leaning towards like some sort of listener mailbag kind of FAQ thing. But what ended up happening was that was an option as well as whether or not we should discuss our movie pet peeves or in catnip, whether or not we should do a full trilogy review uh, and whether or not we should do a discussion about the criterion collection and surprisingly the criterion collection discussion was the one that got a little bit more interest of the other other uh, of the other interest uh, options and i had a couple people messaging me ideas for that so what we're going to do for the main event in celebration of our 100th episode is to do a discussion about the criterion collection what it is what you'll see in it what our favorites are what not what our favorites are but what we own what we'd like to get what we'd like to see in the collection those kinds of things are or what we'll be exploring in our main event topic and related to that film phase we'll be counting down our respective list of our 12 favorite criterion or films in the criterion collection so first we gotta get right into the weekend review shall we do that yeah let's do that all right shanna you kick us off with your weekend review you caught up on a tv show that just dropped its Third season recently, is that right? Fourth. Fourth and final season. Sabrina, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix uh, released their fourth season, their last season. They were canceled sometime this year, I think pre-pandemic. I could be wrong. But... I think it was during the pandemic. Oh, okay. I think it was one of those, because that and Glow both got canceled. Mm. Um, Bad decisions on Netflix's part. So here's the thing. We all know that when a show does come to an end, there's a lot a show needs to wrap up. And what Sabrina was very good at doing was opening a whole bunch of boxes and a whole bunch of ideas in its previous season, which was very exciting because it meant that like a whole new world was going to come crashing down or come joining in and it was going to be a lot of fun but because they got canceled they obviously had to wrap things up really quickly and it 
unfortunately shows. Uh, In the the last episode, certain characters that deserved final lines, that deserved closure, concluding, didn't get that. And that was incredibly frustrating. And certain characters were just super rushed with what was happening. And uh, that was very upsetting. It was very cruel to the fans because I think I think the show deserved better. I think we as fans deserved better. And it was just, it was rather disappointing. So I highly recommend season one, two, and three and go in treading lightly with season four or just skip it entirely and make do with your own thing with how you think Sabrina would have ended. Wow, I'm really surprised to hear you make that recommendation. I'm, I'm very upset to say it, you know? I mean, yeah, you were really, you must have really been disappointed with season four to be like, oh, just kind of leave yourself left off with however season three ended. I think, you know, up to episode four, I believe it's fine. But from there, it it, it dwindles terribly, terribly. I was just trying to look up the news on when exactly it got canceled. And so it says here that it was in july last year that netflix canceled the show so yes it it must have been a pandemic decision and for whatever reason netflix just trying to like cut as many losses as possible i think they should have just waited i mean the oa waited i think two or three years for a season two and i haven't touched oa season two but they could have just done that. They could have just put it on pause and come back. It's a show about witches. You totally could have been like, oh, three years later. Totally believable. But no, we want to rush the show and not give fans what they deserve and not give the show and its characters what they deserve. It was very infuriating. There's several articles online from uh, places like Bust, how black witches are treated in shows and movies and they bring up a lot of good points about how they don't get their complete arc and they deserve their complete arc and it was just yeah i i cannot i can't really say anything good about season four well i am looking at an article from screen rant and it does seem to indicate that it's possible that the series will continue season five will continue in comic book form and that that's yeah. happened before with a couple other shows. I want to say maybe it was Firefly or, or something else did the same idea. Oh, it was Buffy the Vampire. Actually, coincidentally, I've, I've been saying, uh, you know, this show definitely wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Apparently, Buffy also did the same thing. They had a season in comic form. Okay, I'm not really sure how they're going to do that, but I'll just keep my mouth shut beyond that. Fair enough. So that is Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, season four on Netflix. All right, so that about does it for your your weekend review, yeah? Yeah, I was pleased that I, I got that complete and I've started one or two other things that we can talk about another time. Cool. How was your week? So with my weekend review, I actually have a weekend review. I haven't had one in a while. First of all, I am starting a big, huge project series that you will find on the GibsonReview.com blog where I am going through the years, the history of Disney, Disney through the years. And I already did the first piece, which was on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I'm going to go decade by decade through the history of Disney. 
More details on that can be read at thegibsonreview.com. So I'm not going to talk much about that here. I did get to watch a movie that... It's not for dog lovers. Well, let me get to that in a second, okay? Um, I, I did watch a movie that I have heard about for like the past 12 years, 10 years ago. It was talked about a lot. And I just never, I always backburnered it, never got around to it, didn't really know what it was. It's called Waltz with Bashir. I believe it was the Oscar winning documentary or foreign film of its year, 2008. It's an animated war doc- documentary drama that is uh, written, produced, and directed by Ari Fullman. It depicts Fullman in search of his lost memories of his experience as a soldier in the 1982 Lebanon War. Now, I know nothing about the 1982 Lebanon War. I don't know what it was about. I don't know anything at all. But I can say that this was a very interesting film, and I can see why it was so highly recommended for a time and and talked about. Oh, is Ari Fullman the guy who did the Congress? Yeah. I hated that movie. <laughs> I I was interested in this movie. Uh you saw this movie. You saw that movie and you liked it a lot, the the Congress. Yeah. Yeah. Uh with Bashir I'd say is a lot better. A lot it's it's a very powerful film. Uh of course it's very different from the Congress, but it is like 95% animated at the very end it shows some actual footage of what happened but it's it's essentially as i said he's he's interviewing people who might have been involved at the time that he was and trying mm-hmm. to see if he can jog his memories of the time it looks like that's entirely his own project written by yeah. directed right it is really unique and something uh, that's quite special, and I, I highly recommend it. Now, Shanna, I recommend you just start 10 minutes into the movie. Oh, is all the bad because, stuff over after 10 minutes? Because what happens is mm-hmm. what kicks it off is he goes to a guy, or he's talking to a guy, and this guy is like telling him about these, vi- these dreams that he's been having. Um, you know, he was involved in, I guess, this this period this this war and he's talking to fullman about these dreams these nightmares he's having that's haunting him from his past and he talks about what he's his role was uh in his unit in the past and that does involve what essentially it's only the first like five or so minutes in the movie but he's essentially saying that when they would come to these villages or whatever the dogs would alert people and so people could escape and so the dogs would they would sniff they would smell the these people coming in Mm. and and they'd be barking so his job because he was it was noted that he didn't have the stomach for killing people his job was to kill the dogs before they alerted um too much and so yeah for you that would be a difficult scene, even in animated form, to be able to watch. But if you skip the first 10 minutes, um, I think you'll find the rest of the film quite rewarding. So that's Waltz with Bashir from 2008, and uh, I, I highly recommend it if you can find it. Okay, so Shanna, our week in review, 
we have two things to talk about that we caught up with. One was almost going to be a main event feature review. And then, you know, with the pandemic, it got delayed. And then it, it, and it ended up being sort of released to some theaters that are actually open in, in the country on Christmas Day. And then it finally hit VOD. A week or so ago, like some sometime around the middle of, I think the fifteenth of January. So uh, the, the movie is promising one woman. It stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Allison Brie, Clancy Brown, with small appearances by the likes of um, Adam Brody, Sam Richardson, and Laverne Cox. Oh yes, Laverne Cox has a supporting role in it. But I was going to say Christopher Mintz Plass has a scene or two in it so this movie is directed by emerald fennel who is not a talent i am very familiar with this is a directorial debut she's an actress who's been in such things as as the danish girl as called a midwife and the crown and so this is her directorial debut emerald fennel and the story is about a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeking out vengeance against those who crossed her path it's sort of accurate there's a little bit more to it than that shanna what did you think of promising young woman this was one of my most anticipated movies of 2020 and once you found out what it was you were looking forward to it as well did it live up to the potential yeah there's a lot of feelings and emotions I have about this film you know last year was going to be and and mostly was a stellar year for female stories being told of a variety of levels in different ways too Uh, if you think about uh, what was it February or January we had Birds of Prey yeah and that in itself was a great way to get you know some women's stories out there and then you know it would have been this one a month or two later which would have been a great start Mm -hmm. to the year. The only thing I hated was waiting so long for this film. Mm. And I wish that, you know, when we got to rent it, it was expensive. It was $20. I wish that we could have just bought it because I just want to watch it again and again because it's one of those films where everything is fairly subtle and you might not catch everything the first time viewing. It was interesting watching it with you because... You know, I let you go first to discuss thoughts and and things. And then I went. And it was interesting to see what you picked up on and, you know, what I was picking up on. And I just found the character to be, you know, she's a vigilante. She's a heroine in a way. Sort of. Maybe not straight up vigilante, but, you know, she definitely has elements of that. Mm. So this is a movie that I kind of want to see it a second time because to to because. okay. so first of all, we were essentially paying for the equivalent of uh, a ticket to a movie theater for us to to watch it. Right. Two tickets. Yeah. Well, it's it's 20 bucks. Right. So is, is what I'm trying to say. Right. And it's still like two weeks, quote unquote, into its quote unquote theatrical run it's not in the quote unquote rental market period yet right so i didn't mind that it was like we were able to go to the theater and watch it and we had our setup such so that we were close enough to the tv it was almost like having our own little home theater 
experience. But what I mean when I say that I wish I got to see it a second time is because I was so nervous watching this <laughs> movie and not for the reasons you might expect being a man watching the movie about what it's about. It's really more like, what am I going to see? And am I going to see something I'm not going to be able to unsee? What is she capable of, this, this woman? How badly are things going to turn? And so the entire time, or at least most of the time, I was kind of on edge. <laughs> you know, yeah. whenever, especially she, what she does is she goes out on these like nightly rituals where she pretends to be drunk and vulnerable and she sees kind of how a guy plays things out and she's practically entrapping these guys to an extent because she you could see that she's bored when they're like not doing anything like harmful or wrong but then like as she as soon as she gets them in a place when they do something wrong she like snaps awake and and turns the tables on them it's it's those nightly rituals that I'm like, oh my god, what is she going to do? Like, why does she have these little hash marks and some are red and some are blue and some are black? What does that mean? So I, knowing now what I know, I want to rewatch the film and really absorb it because I think this film is a great film. I think it's very rich. I I was able in the first viewing to be really struck by the for a for a debut the cinematography and the compositions the lighting there's a lot of significance towards the themes of the film in all of that it's a very it's very consistent and well crafted in that way and i was very impressed by that yeah there's a lot of film there's a lot of cinematography techniques that they're using a lot of lighting techniques to kind of push the story along and almost objectify the story the mm. setting every there's a scene where they're in a diner and even the ice blocks look sexy, you know? <laughs> it's, the, it's the ice block technique where you boil the water and then you ice it and then it's clear. There's no air uh, bubbles or anything. So, I mean, huh. the ice blocks, not the cook, the ice blocks in the cook look right. sexy, you know? So it was as if they were objectifying everything around them and it was such a super cool idea because... We're not going to objectify this woman, but we're going to objectify everything around her as this sort of commentary that that does exist, you know? And and I really enjoyed that. I really thought that this film was going beyond its own story. There's so much to chew on with this film. I really wish that we were able to have a full discussion of, of this film when we saw it. But I think that what's interesting about it is that it's not like a revenge fantasy like I expected it to be. It's not a stylized thing. It's not like a thing where you're like, yeah, get them. There's thankfully much more complications or nuance or complexity to the character that's like, oh, like there's something that's driving her to do this. And and then it does go in a very pointed direction having to do with her past. And I really appreciated it for for being more complex than what I expected it to be to an extent. Mm. And I really appreciate Carrie Mulligan's performance. I've been watching her since an education in 2009 and I can't remember every single thing she's done since then off the top of my head per se, 
but I think this is probably her by far her greatest performance and and that's saying something because she was in never let me go which is just an absolute heartbreaking film from 2010 i loved her in that yeah so i think she's amazing in this film so do you oh, have she's in else? brothers yeah there's a couple of nits i could pick about it there's it's not 100 percent unpredictable there's a character a very prominent character in the film that I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop on. I think the end is definitely something worth debating whether or not it works for people. Uh, we had a long discussion about the end uh, and trying to reconcile. Does the ending work? Does it not? Because there's certain things that had to have happened. Yeah, Promising Young Woman. If you haven't caught up with it, uh, it sounds like we both highly recommend it. Shanna, what do you give that out of 10? Probably a nine. Eight out of ten for me. So highly recommend. Lastly, for the weekend review, we have one more thing to talk about. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things we can't like fully talk about, but uh, you know, we got to be part of the conversation as it's happening, right? As much as we can for a every other week podcast. That is WandaVision on Disney Plus. It kicks off Phase Four of the MCU. Phase Four. They were supposed to have a bunch of movies, kind of riddled without throughout the year starting last year that didn't work out so if all goes according to plan we'll be assaulted with a bunch of movies this year plus wandavision and then i think there's some other series on limited series on disney plus that's coming too all this is supposed to kind of weave in and out of each other and be related and essentially what we know about WandaVision is that Wanda Maximoff and Vision are in a classic TV sitcom scenario and they're married. They live in the suburbs and they're kind of going through the classic sitcom tropes. And it, as such, it has that comedic element with it, but also there is a certain something's not right kind of creepy vibe don't show me the imdb cast because it shows these are ones we've seen already right there's ones on there that we haven't seen because it shows the entire limited series it looks like it's what nine episodes is that right total that's what they've got listed right now okay so at at the time of recording the the third episode dropped two days ago we haven't caught up with it yet we're planning on catching up with it shortly after recording here but shanna what do you want to say about wandavision i love scarlet witch you know one year we dressed up as x an x-men couple and then another year we dressed up as scarlet witch and vision so i'm super happy to be seeing more of them i don't think i got to see enough of them in the movies which makes sense it's a huge cast Mm. you know you're not going to get enough of your favorite characters your favorite couple And I would love to see them go through all the motions of life, even if it is happening in suburbia in a particular time. I think that one good point about this is it is giving us more time with those characters that you couldn't have in the films, especially ensemble cast films, and more time of them as a couple and seeing what they would be like as a couple. I mean... Clearly, there was a period of time off screen in uh, the time of Infinity War when they were able to be a couple, but like in secret, this is a little bit more of what that would have looked like, except in suburbia, I guess, you know, but you also get the dynamic of them as a couple because they don't necessarily know what's 
going on. And that's what's really fascinating about this show for me. A, it's an excellent exercise, an acting exercise, right? Because it takes these characters that these char- these actors are playing in a big tentpole kind of franchise, big, big budget studio thing. And it does um, something different and interesting for them so they don't get tired of the same old thing, right? They have to play to a completely different style, mm. right? They have to play to these classic Dick Van Dyke type sitcom uh, it reminds ideas, me right? a lot of Bewitched. Yes, yes, that too. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's great as an acting exercise. It's also kind of a fascinating like statement on the MCU and Disney and Disney Plus, like starting off with something that's classic TV on this new generation of TV, which is the streaming generation, right? Mm-hmm. And Disney being a part of that, you know, the second year of it. Hey, it was WandaVision. And also there's a mystery of it, right? I'm, I'm yeah, kinda, I do love mysteries. In the comics, like Wanda's kind of messed up in the head. Like she's not psycho- psychologically sound. Mm-hmm. And she's very disturbed. And she's done some major things in the Marvel Universe because of her psychological problems. I'm wondering if that's what's happening here. But there's also the suggestion that maybe someone is controlling them. Like they're in a controlled environment. So I don't know. I'm interested in seeing what it is, what's up, and it's it's taking its time, and I appreciate that it's taking its time to the slow burn and slow build up. You know, the episodes are only like twenty to thirty episodes each, or uh, minutes each. So. Yeah, and it doesn't really feel like any time is is wasted. Yeah, because we've got this lovely little cocktail of comedy, mystery, what the fuck, and you know, oh, I remember shows like that. Yeah. So there's this lovely little combination of nostalgia and everything else yeah so we'll definitely talk about wandavision as it wraps up probably in in an episode or two but that's our initial thoughts on it so that's our week in review concluding the week in review segment now it's time for the main event which is our discussion of the criterion collection whoop whoop i'm so excited about this i freaking love criterion so, Criterion Collection. Many cinephiles are aware of the Criterion Collection. Many new or budding cinephiles or just casual movie lovers may not be. So, let me start off by explaining what is the Criterion Collection. According to the website, the Criterion Collection is a continuing series of important classic and contemporary films on home video. Their editions often include restored film transfers along with commentary tracks and other kinds of supplemental features. Criterion has been working closely with filmmakers and scholars to ensure that each film is presented as its maker would want it seen and published in an edition that will deepen the viewer's understanding and appreciation of the art of cinema. It's essentially, they're, they're essentially one of the greatest purveyors of film preservation. They've been going back through time, not like chronologically, but they've been going through the history of film, and they essentially help preserve these films by restoring them and giving them really nice treatments, as they're called, uh, with really nice packaging and a lot of great supplemental features, usually that involve like interviews with people involved with the films or what do you call them, features, uh, production features, things that go into the making of the movies maybe, all sorts of things, things that provide context for the film, either 
what it meant at the time, the context of the time that it was made, what have you, right? The artistic uh, context of the film. And then you also usually have at least one essay in a booklet that comes with the packaging. Uh, sometimes there's more. Like I have Hearts of Mine, Hearts and Minds DVD that has like four or five essays in it. So it just kind of depends on the film. So that's essentially what the Criterion Collection is. It started out in Laserdisc form way back, and it's been. Tell us what a Laserdisc is. <laughs> Because I don't think I know. I don't think that that came to South Africa. I don't think we had that. Well, and I don't even think I actually saw it. You can find them on eBay, actually, and, and for the price of an actual, like, a current Criterion, they're not that expensive. But laser discs were like, imagine, okay, so there was a time. <laughs> I was about to oh compare gosh. it to something that, like, okay. is of the same period. So, you know CDs, imagine them three times bigger like a giant disc oh like an lp okay i was going to say lps but then like if you don't know what a laser disc is you're probably too young to know what an lp is so yeah lps are vinyl what they, they predated cds they were what music was recorded on laser disc is a, a essentially a actual giant cd a giant disc movies were on cds definitely made that go the way of the dinosaurs or not CDs, but DVDs. These are usually printed on DVD or Blu-ray. Still, today, you can get, for new releases, a Blu-ray copy or a DVD copy. It does not combine the two like some other types of releases do. It's not like you get a digital copy and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's much more uh, classy, I guess. You get one or the other. And uh, with that... Talk, to, Shanna. I know you're itching to talk about what the packaging is and what it what it looks like. Why don't you Why don't you share with them a little bit about that? Yeah. So we looked through our Criterion collection, and I think our favorite, or at least my favorite, packaging of one is Parasite. Is it your favorite too? I don't know if it's my okay. favorite per se, okay. but it is. It is definitely unique. It's not what you get. It's important to note that these criterions sometimes they're in clamshells, sometimes they're in slipcases. Yeah. So let me explain this one. This one has a slipcase. Now, Parasite is from 2019. They won the Oscar, several Oscars, and it's the film by Bon Joon Ho, and. We obviously always try to get the Blu-ray edition. The Blu-ray edition is usually nicer than the DVD edition by just a little bit. Now, underneath the slipcase is the normal, what do you call this? The normal part? Yeah. Where yeah. the Blu-rays sit. And that's the typical poster that you see of Parasite. But then the slipcase has these circles and rectangles cut out of them. And for the longest time, I was like, what are we mimicking here? And we were able to sift through some of the special features that really spoke about set design on this movie and how the rectangles are very important, how the ratio is very important. It's a 2.39 by 1 aspect ratio, which you don't really, you don't really see. And eventually I realized what the slipcase was doing. Once you realize what how this is linked to the story, you'll be like, oh my God, of course. <laughs> you know, it's not about the architecture. It's about something else. Mm -hmm. And you pull out our lovely little collection here. And when I open it, it's, it's lovely. It's very thick cardstock. It's even folded over, which means it's double reinforced. And then you have a lovely essay there. I think that essay took us the whole of 
prepping dinner to get through. Uh, reading, reading it out loud, yeah. reading it out loud, and then it has some credits because obviously you're not going through just a studio to get the rights to be able to turn this into Criterion. You have to go through the director, the screenplay, the um, the creators, the creators, you know. And with this one, we have two discs, which is very exciting. We have the actual film on disc one, and then on disc two, we have a continuation of extra features and also an alternate treatment of the film it yes. turns out they had made a black and white version which i am super excited to watch we tried to get through both discs but it is so dense the special features are so fantastic and chock full of information that you might not have known otherwise even the interview that takes place with Bong Joon-ho is different. By that point, he had done something like 500 interviews with yeah, people. Yeah, ridiculous amount. It was, it was super big. And the interviewer decided, well, instead of asking questions, let's just do one word and we do associations and yeah, yeah, with yeah. the film. So it's, they're really striving to get something special for us. Yeah. And... You know, if you love a film and you want to know more about that film, if it's got criterion treatment, chances are you're going to get exactly that. So let's talk about the criteria of being able to be a part of the criterion collection. Typically, what you will find in the criterion collection, which there are a thousand seventy four movies and counting well, as part Parasite of the site is a thousand and fifty four. Yes, they're at 1,074 in the next, uh, with the ones that they have announced are coming up in the next month or two. And they announce like in the middle of each month what's coming out two or three months ahead of time. So what you'll typically find is foreign films, definitely, you know, maybe French New Wave films or, or what, what have you, a lot of Japanese films, Asian films, all kinds, all manner of foreign films are contenders. You'll find classic Hollywood movies, new age Hollywood movies, and the like, and and movies that had some sort of significance to the form, and or or made some sort of a huge cultural impact. Now, that said, what you won't find in the collection typically are franchise films. I don't think in all the thousand films I looked through, I don't think I saw a single film that was part of a franchise. Not one. You won't find... There are two exceptions to this, but you normally will not find action films you know, as, uh, as part of the collection. We'll probably get to the two exceptions later, but you won't find action films you know, as part of the collection. No franchise films. No Disney films, right? So... Part of the thing, as, as Shanna suggested, is trying to get the rights to being able to add a film to the collection. And Disney, you know, they've got an iron grip on everything that they hold and own, right? So especially their animated stuff. They have their vault. They have their own thing that they do. You want a physical copy of nice treatment of, a, of one of Disney's animated films? They got you covered. Criterion is not the place, right? So you won't find those kinds of films. And we'll talk a little bit more about what, what we don't see yet that we'd like to see in a little while here. But is there anything else add, you want to add that I'm missing, Shannon, that you won't find as part of the collection typically? 
You're not really going to find something like frivolous comedy. Yeah, right. You know, you won't find frivolous comedy. You won't find... No Jennifer Lopez comedies here. Or you know, Sandra Bullock comedies. No Julia Roberts. Yeah. You know, no Runaway Bride for us. And, right. um, <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It has to have weight to it. Yeah. So, you know, we'll also talk about what we wish was a criterion. And even though we're wishing what was criterion... It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get it right away because negotiations will take time. And so something like Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire were instantly got the treatment yes as soon as they were made right as well so, as Wes anderson movies i've noticed. yeah so not and i feel like if they have a relationship with someone yeah. like wes anderson like you know bon joon ho right now they're getting memories, uh, of, memories murder. of murder yeah and then you have someone like spike lee they started with do the right thing mm-hmm. and now they've got something else right I feel like they have something else brewing. So as soon as they have a relationship, then it starts opening the door for getting more of that person's work. You can, yes. Um, So I think that that's interesting. And like I said, we'll come back to what we wish was criteria. Let's talk about what we do have right now. I don't necessarily want to list through all of them. Maybe I'll make a post on the Instagram account that has a picture of all of our collection and and be a little bit more thorough but i will say like currently we have 34 and counting from criterion a lot of that is thanks to shanna i think before Mm -hmm. shanna i just had hearts and minds and maybe like the rock and one other do you want to kind of name check a couple in particular standouts of of our collection of 34 films or what would you like to say about what we own we have a couple that got the treatment immediately and we have a couple that are old that uh, when they do that like something from the 40s or 50s or 30s they'll take it and they'll they'll remaster things so something that we have Oh, and then we also have foreign ones, and we have volumes. So one of our volumes that we're very proud of is the Before Trilogy, yeah, including Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. Right. Then we'll have something like 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. And what, what year is that from, my love? Oh, gosh. I want to say off the top of my head, 1956. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that might be wrong. And then when something awesome comes out, like the Princess Bride was a really special edition. It looks, Mm -hmm. the look of it is very unique. It looks like one of those uh, books that were bound with linen. Yes. It's almost a digibook version, Mm. right? Which you don't usually get with Criterion uh, digibooks. Mm -hmm. Usually studios, that's the other thing, is studios often will do, uh, maybe less so now, but for a time, up till recently, they would do their own nice treatment of things, and usually it's in the form of a digibook. Like, I think 20th Century Fox in particular, maybe Warner Brothers in particular, did that mm. for several of their catalog titles, and that's really nice. You don't see that typically for Criterion, so that made The Princess Bride quite different. Mm. And then, of course, we have things like Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. We have Parasite being John Malkovich, Broadcast News, Boyhood, which totally makes sense that it got criterion treatment because yeah. it was a film that took place over, a little bit got filmed over 18 years. Uh, was it 18? I'm sorry, 12, yeah. Uh, then we have The Player, 
Moonrise Kingdom and one of my favorite foreign films that we own, Tom Popo. Right, right, right. Let's talk about the covers for a second before we yes, move on let's. to a lot of the other stuff. So the, the one, one thing that's really notable about the Criterion Editions is uh, they don't have those often bland covers you see on a normal edition of a film where it's just pictures of who stars in the movie. They usually have something that's a little more artistic. Occasionally it'll just be the poster of the movie, but usually there's some original artwork that's done for the cover of the criteria, the edition of the Criterion Collection. And often that's the thing that'll draw you towards it and that's what happened with me at Barnes & Noble my first few weeks living here. I noticed there was this section, and it was the Criterion section, where the covers of the products were very different to what you would see normally. Yeah. When I saw Brazil's cover, I was like, what is that about? It's this person with angel wings flying off of filing cabinets that are towered so high you can't see the floor, mm. you know? And I was like, what is that? It turns out I hate the film, but love the, po- the poster work. Brazil, yeah. And then they'll do something. They really do vary it up. Things that make sense, Silence of the Lambs is an ink blot that's, you know, a mixture of red and black coloring. Uh, Parasite in, in, is... In the, in the form of a moth, though. Yes, in the form of a moth. And then being John Malkovich is pretty unique and is something that they try to do, uh, you see in several of their covers. John Malko- being John Malkovich is the picture of an iris and pupil, and within the pupil you see someone crawling in a tunnel type thing. Yes. You know, and... Those two, Bean John Malkovich and, and Silence of the Lambs, are two of my favorite covers that I, I saw. Mm. And then, you know, you'll get photorealistic covers like Moonrise Kingdom, Broadcast News. Twelve Angry Men is taking each person's picture and blocking it. Mm-hmm. And then Boy... Same, yeah, same thing with Boyhood, right? Boyhood is taking index... Uh, it's taking film strips, negatives, mm-hmm. and layering them, uh, people at the, the characters at different ages. And then the player is also doing something visually unique to its story where they have a uh, negative film strip in the shape of a noose so you'll see these covers and you'll be like what is that something that my charge is always attracted to at uh, uh, where we go is fantastic planet is that what it's called oh yeah 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 Yeah, because it's this blue alien amphibian type thing with red eyes and a yellow background most of the time you'll see these these covers are fairly muted with like a bright purple here a bright mustard there the occasional red mm-hmm. and they really go through a whole line of different art forms they'll have illustration they'll have photorealism painting uh, different you know a scene of a room like bull durham and then you'll have something that's beautiful and action like pinna oh pinna yes yeah and then if they have you know particular directors like wes anderson's covers look all the same except for the fantastic Mr. Fox, and then Jacques Demy, all of his look this, you know, same sort of style. It's that kind of magazine illustration type style from, I think, the 50s or 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the covers definitely always pique my interest, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to, I'm going to like the film, but I do have this appreciation for the cover work. 
So I'm going to try to share some of these covers on the actual blog post of this episode at thegibsonreview.com so you can kind of see for yourself. But like for me, I just wanted to highlight a couple of my favorites. I mentioned being John Malkovich and the Silence of the Lambs. But also, like, I really like the Moonrise Kingdom cover, which has a very, like, it's basically of the shore and it says Moonrise Kingdom. It's very relevant to the film. A lot of, some, a lot of times the art is relevant to the film, like being John Malkovich that Shanna described. Broadcast News is kind of a cool one where you're looking at these different TV monitors and the different characters in the TV monitors. But it has this, like, artistic overlay. Oh yeah, another one is Tampopo, which has a very like artistic like drawing and color kind of art. Swirly. Yeah, swirly sort of thing that's very much like with the noodles and you have uh, some the main character the 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 head of the main character eating these noodles and in the bowl you see like one of the main char- other main characters who's a who owns a restaurant, a noodle shop in the rim of the bowl doing the different things and these covers are often quite beautiful and again i'll try to share what i can uh from it on the blog entry of this episode on the gibsonreview.com was there anything else you want to highlight about the covers i think other ones that i noted was the last emperor cover is quite lovely oh really it's 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 you know probably straight out of the film but what's striking is it's yellow and red Mm, yes, and then I think in, that was like the poster. Yeah, and then th- the three colors volume is beautiful. It's the three colors, but slow shutter speed with lights mm. moving. So it's a little abstracted. And then another one that I found great as a photographer was Insignificance, where it's a radiating photo joiner, which is a, a, a fun photo technique that was used a lot, I believe, in the the 50s or 60s Hmm. maybe it was 60s 70s sorry (laughs) but it's just you know again showing appreciation for film as art so let's talk about we talked a little bit about what we do own let's talk about what exists in the collection that we still want now there's a thousand seventy four titles and so clearly we haven't seen all of these films and as a matter of fact there's podcasts out there that you could search for that their entire purpose is to go through the entire Criterion Collection and talk about each film and review them, which I think is an excellent idea because you definitely enrich yourself the deeper and deeper you get into this collection. But uh, Shanna, what are some of the ones that does exist in the collection currently that you're you're kind of that's on your want list yeah i always want criterion even if i don't necessarily (laughs) know what it's about or am neutral to it you know neither hate it nor love it although it would have been a really bad idea if i just blind bought for you badlands by terrence malick that would be bad especially seeing as how you didn't do the thing you're supposed to do (laughs) which is to see if the dog dies so I would love to have It's a Mad Mad World, Blue is the Warmest Color, Mm. would love to have Paris, Texas, because I believe that was the very first Criterion I ever watched. Ah, Um, that that was one that you tried bringing over and showing me one of the times that you came 
uh, when we first met. That was like one of the first movies you wanted to show me was Paris, Texas. Yeah. And it, it took... It took years. Years, unfortunately. I think we only watched it last year. Yeah, maybe. Or the no, year before. year before when we did the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So I would also love to have All About Eve. I love that film. Mm. Roma 2018, Leave Her to Heaven, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I can't believe we don't have that one yet. But then there's also the ones I'd love to have just for having are like the Martin Scorsese and David Lynch collections where they have like their little shorts. And I just love the idea of having David Lynch's little bits of works, you know? Mm. Uh, That's that's some that I'd love to have. I'm sure there's others. Like Do the Right Thing would be awesome to have. For me, there's The Out of Print, The Killer by John Woo, which I think... I think I showed you a few years ago and I tried showing you again, but it's really hard to obtain, but I'd like, I think I'd like to get that if possible. Naya the Hunter. Um, yes, I'm surprised, obviously I want that. I'm surprised you didn't mention that actually. <laughs> it's because I, I, it's on a couple other lists. Yeah. So that one on the waterfront is a movie that mm. when I last saw that, that really struck me as a film that I really loved. The Kid by Charlie Chaplin is one of the only Chaplin movies I don't own. That one and The Circus, that are two of my favorites that I would love to mm. to get that are on the Criterion Collection. I kind of agree with you with Blue is the Warmest Color and All About Eve. We have a really nice digibook edition of yeah. All About Eve from, I think it's 20th Century Vox that did mm-hmm. that film. And I was like, oh, gosh, they did. They, they added it to the Criterion Collection, too. And I was, like, comparing it because sometimes you're like, are they just putting the same features into the collection with a new interview or something? Or what is it? And it it seems to me, as near as I can tell, to be like 50% new features mm. um, or more. So I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you know, Two Days, One Night, I think would be really nice with Marion Cotillard. I think that was by the... Oh, wow. That got Criterion? That's awesome. Yes. Yes. I was trying to remember the directors. It's a brother duo. I forget their name right now. Buena Vista Social Club. That's one I need to re-see. But when I did see it years ago, I was really taken with that documentary about Cuban musicians. Leave Her to Heaven, I totally agree with you on. That's a great one. Minding the Gap just came out on Criterion. Yeah, that one makes sense because it was also filmed, you know, like when the kids were a certain age and then as they were adults. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, also a great documentary. Yeah, I named it obviously. one of the best mo- movies of 2018. And Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life is mm. coming out soon on Criterion in, in the collection. That would be a nice one, too, because I do like a, a certain period of Albert Brooks's work. Mm. So uh, his, his, his style of comedy, it's not terribly different from Woody Allen in terms of the neuroticism and it being so dialogue heavy. And that really appeals to me. Mm. So those are the ones that I still surprisingly... I still want. Well, and that's the thing. Let's talk about that. I mean, these aren't cheap. They don't really go on special very often. They do. Um, like three or... Is it two or three times a a year? I know with Barnes & Noble, it's one to two times a year. They'll be buy one, get one 50% off. These films are usually $30. At Barnes, they're like 
you know, there's a markup. There's like $35, $42. Well, the MSRP, and you'll even see this on Criterion's website, is $40 for the Blu-ray and I think $30 for the DVD. But often they will be listed less than that. And sometimes Criterion has sales. And if you follow mm. them on Instagram, a great follow, by the way, mm-hmm. you will uh, see that they do have like occasionally a 30% off sale, a 50% off sale. The 50% off sale is, whew, that's nice because that's these things exciting. are finally in your yeah. budget of like, okay, I will spend 20 bucks for a Blu-ray that's as nice or even 25 for a Blu-ray that's as nice as a Criterion treatment. Mm-hmm. So usually we're waiting unless yeah. it's like a Christmas gift or right. something, you know? Yeah, um. totally. Uh, it's also worth noting that they do have their own streaming service called the Criterion mm-hmm. Channel. Used to be Filmstruck was the streaming service that had the Criterion collection on it. That went defunct for I don't know what reason. A couple years ago, like two, three years ago, whatever. And then since, Criterion just was like, fuck it, we're making our own channel. And Criterion Channel is what it is. You'll see it linked on their website too. And... Uh, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, a lot of their collections not on the channel, mm. but they do have a buttload of other features. The only thing to be aware of is, unlike most streaming platforms where you can pay monthly, they do ask for an upfront annual fee. Which is about, we worked it out, it's about $200. Is it? Okay. Maybe a little less. Okay. So, you know, if it was, if it was, that's the one hurdle for me is if we were to be breaking that down to a monthly payment of $15 a month or whatever, no problem. But it's hard for me to like have, okay, this month, every year, I'm going to make sure I have a couple hundred dollars set aside to be able to make sure I can renew the subscription, you know? But I'm sure it's, it's quite rewarding if you can get through that hurdle. Let's talk about what we would like to see in the collection, all right? We already talked about like, what the criteria is for being a part of the collection. So, no, you will not see Star Wars, for crying out loud, (laughs) in the collection. You won't see your favorite Marvel movie in the collection. No franchises, right? No big-budget sort of things you'll see in the collection. But that said, it's surprising what isn't and who isn't sometimes Mm. in the collection. So, Shannon, why don't you lead us with what you observed isn't in the collection that you would like to see. So here's how I see Criterion. I see it as this fantastic curation Mm -hmm. of films that are important in some way, whether it's what the story is about, its film technique, its filmmaker, its performances, its story. Mm -hmm. So even though I didn't like Brazil, it made total sense why it was in there, Mm. you know? And Time Bandits by the same director, right? And Time Bandits, you know? As unpleasant as it was for me. (laughs) Both of them. Both of them were unpleasant for me. I get why that person's work is in there. So what I cannot understand why it isn't there yet. And you know what? I say that and then I backpedal because I'm like, well, they they might be discussing rights to it right now as we speak. Is Lost Man, Lost Black Man in San Francisco should have been one of those direct to criterion kind of things. That's how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. First cow, never rarely, sometimes always let the right one in the the foreign the Swedish one, yeah. the foreign one. 
And then some that need to get remastered. So I, I think that Harvey is very important. Mm. I think that Arsenic and Old Lace is a very important comedy that, that has a lot of great talents that, mm. that's, you know, that, that needs that. Um, and then I have ones that I just, that I just love, like Persepolis, I mm-hmm. think is, is super important. It covers the, like three decades. Um, is it three decades? It's been a while since I've seen or, it. Two or three decades of a woman's life in, where is it? I want to say Iran. Okay. Yeah. In, in the Middle East, you know, just so that I don't get the, the country wrong. But then there's other things that I totally relate to, like I, that I absolutely love. Like Arrival should get it because sci-fi awesomeness. But sci-fi, you know, sci-fi is doesn't rare. always get in there. I mean, name name the last sci-fi you just went through. Well, the I list. said Fantastic Planet, didn't I? Yes, a French yeah. animated film. Yeah. But I can't think of really any sci-fi films in the collection. But to I feel speak like of. if Arrival, like it's it's commenting on like we all need to work together. It doesn't matter, you know. Well, kind of thing. It is on like this whole other level, right? Mm. Like artistically, mm-hmm. right? So I could see why you would think it would be within the oeuvre and yeah. make sense. And then other things like Band Aid. You know, I'm always. I'm always going to bat for that film, <laughs> you know. Three billboards outside. Ebbing, Missouri. You Thank always you. get that part. I, or, yeah. I, I don't like even trying anymore. <laughs> and, and then, like, it, it would make sense to me that Booksmart would make it because if Dazed and Confused can make it, then Booksmart should make it. And it even has, mm. it goes that extra level of incorporating different film techniques in it. Oh, who else have I got here? Secret in Their Eyes, the Argentinian one. Blade Runner, because it it had a significant impact on its genre. Yeah, the original one. Yeah, and then something like Promising Young Woman would be a good one because of how it's crafted. Mm. And also it's this post-Me Too Time's Up. So I'm sure there's others, but that's what I've got right now. Going backwards a little bit, because uh, I think you 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 have some excellent picks here that would and they're kind of all over the place. Yeah, they are, like, but they make some you know excellent uh, additions to the collection, and they make sense as part of it. Uh, first, cow. I don't remember. It, does Kelly Reichardt have any movies in the collection existing? Is Meeks cut off in the collection right now? For example, not that one. Okay. So I totally agree with you that there's no, uh, she has uh, the one that we certain certain women, certain women, certain women. Yeah. That one we reviewed because when it came out in the rental market, it came out on criterion. So she has at least that. She has something called old joy, certain woman. Those are, and that might be it. Those are all in the, uh, in the collection. Really? Oh, interesting i didn't know that old joy was i haven't seen old joy but you know i i agree with you about first cow and i agree i, I would actually think like meek's cutoff as well is an excellent one they you must know, be in discussion i'm just going to assume they're in discussion about it maybe you know? but it does open the conversation there's certain auteurs that you would think would have films in the collection that don't and and, and some that do but not the ones you might think like Hitch- hitchcock psycho rear window north by northwest not in the collection but mm-hmm. he does have like at least half a dozen other movies that are in the collection at least rear window Come david on. fincher he mm-hmm. has the game one of his lesser known films in the collection but he doesn't have like his other well-known films uh fight club seven social network 
You know, those kinds of movies aren't a part of the collection. Oh, it looks like Curious Case of Benjamin Button, curiously enough, uh, no pun intended, is in the collection. Um, so that's kind of odd. Point being, you have certain auteurs. You'll never see Woody Allen in the collection. Christopher Nolan has his first film in a collection, but not any of his others. I don't think even Memento is in in the collection, interestingly enough. Movies that I, other movies that I would want to add, Best Years of Our Lives. I, was, I, I basically just... Yes! Used, I use my 100 favorites list as a, as a jumping off point here. Best, Best Years of Our Lives from 1946, I think it was, is definitely a film that seems to be exactly what Criterion is looking for. You know, just the, the significance of it. The fact that it, like so many other movies in the collection, is not very well known, but is totally worthy of being preserved. That seems, and that thing does has not had a very great printing edition in the sense that, yes, like it's been restored, but there's nothing about the movie on the Blu-ray, really. I think maybe there's a trailer, maybe there's one other thing. Not a whole lot in, in, in regards to features. Uh, searching for Sugar Man, I think, would be a great addition to the Criterion, especially if you get into the director mm. who he only made that film before he committed suicide a couple of years later. I feel like A League of Their Own by Penny Marshall, mm. I think, has its historical significance and it might kind of fit into the criteria and the oeuvre of, of Criterion. 2001 A Space Odyssey and I, I, Kubrick has a couple films in the collection i think was it uh, a clockwork orange dr strange love paths of glory uh, maybe full metal jacket is in there i'm not positive uh the killing barry linden those are all but not 2001 a space odyssey and to me that is very unusual oh spartacus is that's unusual because of all the sci-fi films ever created, that seems to be the one that would fit well mm. in the collection. Yeah. One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, All the President's Men seems like a natural fit. Uh, even A Christmas Story, I would say George Stevens' Giant, which... Yeah, that makes sense. Fox did, I think it was Fox, did a wonderful package. That's a, the, the Digibook package of it. It's beautiful. But I think that it could be a contender for Criterion. I agree with you, Arsene, like an old lace. I would throw in Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, God. Yeah. Cleansing you know? Cry movie. How does that, <laughs> how is that not part of, of the collection so far? Well, you know? and then it's like, okay, well, would Don Bluth's Land Before Time qualify? Oh, God. No, I, I wouldn't think no? so. Okay. I wouldn't think so. It's not even, even though it's like half the the level that grave of fireflies is yeah that's true you yeah. know but just forget us maybe <laughs> maybe that's because of studio ghibli and maybe that's a, again a disney thing i don't yeah. know uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind mm -hmm. i mean if you have being john malkovich for crying yeah. out loud eternal sunshine definitely fits uh i kind of think apocalypse now you know but also in terms of a foreign film a separation by asghar fahadi mm. i think would be an excellent uh addition too but you know, it's interesting just kind of going through. Uh, you could you could talk for at least a half an hour just on like what sort of directors' works aren't in the collection and and versus who is and stuff and who who should be. Um, but again, it's not people who typically pedal in the big budget stuff. You won't see Steven Spielberg in the collection or anything like that. So 
you know, you, you got to take and keep in mind, like what, what fits with what criterion is looking for and, and what hasn't been yet. And, uh, so hopefully, hopefully we got some great ones coming down the line from them. I'm always excited to hear what the n- latest announcements are. Usually there's like one in there that I'm excited uh, or, or makes sense for me that I've seen that's um, being added. But is there anything else about the Criterion Collection that we should um, add that, that, that's worth noting? A lot of this stuff is available on HBO Max, and a few of them are available on Hulu, like Parasite is available on Hulu. Oh, okay. So it's good to note that, you know, you could go and check out Criterion. I like to go and look at the covers or the categories and then pick something to explore from there. You know, we'll get a little bit into how that worked out for me with my list. Sometimes I would just pick something and it would be a win and sometimes it wouldn't, like Brazil. <laughs> so I, I think people should definitely check out their website. It's very well put together. Uh, if you are familiar with the arts, I think you'll be pleased to be on the site. Uh, everything is really consistent and there's articles and there's people's own top 10 lists. You know, even the guy from Lost with the blonde hair, he's the rocker, he's the musician. Who is that actor? Uh, Dominic Monaghan? Like he has, they, they asked him for what's your top 10 criterion. There's lots of stuff to see on there. There's lots of articles to read. It's it's a really great chock full website. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. It's our 100th episode. Boop, boop. This podcast started in April of 2017. And so what we're going to do, and I'm going to post this on the Instagram page as well, Instagram account as well, once this podcast publishes, we're going to do a sort of a, a what do you call, a, a chance to win, a drawing or whatever you call them, uh, win a prize. We're going to do our very first prize to see how it goes here. Since our podcast started in 2017, what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to win Criterion Postcards Artwork work Notebook, uh, Volume 2, which is a 34-page full-color perforated postcard book featuring the cover designs from their 2017 releases. So these are of many films that include His Girl Friday, the cover design for Mildred Pierce, Camera Person by Kirsten Johnson, Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Blow Up, Buena Vista Social Club, Tampopo, which we mentioned earlier, and so many others. So, Oh, we must have gotten Tampopo as soon as it was released then. Uh, not long after, that's mm. for sure. So it's a beautiful little notebook. You're going to have the opportunity to win. All you have to do is either email to the Gibson Review at gmail.com or message directly in the Instagram account, the Gibson 99, your favorite movie that's in the collection, the Criterion Collection, 1,074 titles. Send us your favorite movie in the collection and why you love it. Okay? We will take all the different entries and we will announce it at the beginning of the next episode and on the Instagram account. Okay. And you will get your own copy of this lovely postcard notebook with the covers, 
from their 2017 releases. And with that, Shanna, let's ourselves move on into our favorite movies in the Criterion Collection with Film Faves. For those who aren't familiar, Film Faves is a segment in the podcast inspired by a feature on the Gibson Review wherein I would count down my 12 favorite movies and around a particular topic. And that's what we do here. The idea is to give you a sense of our tastes in film but also hopefully expose you to some titles that you've never heard of before to that end what we try to do is point you in the direction of what subscription streaming services these films are available on we focus on amazon prime netflix hulu disney plus hbo max and apple tv plus am i forgetting anything shanna I don't think so. Okay. Now, in the case of our favorite Criterion films, it's very interesting. Most, not all, but most might be found on the Criterion channel itself or available to rent on Amazon. But if they are available on those other services I just mentioned, we will let you know. Oddly enough, from what I saw, I don't know about what you saw, Shanna, for your list, but I didn't see any on Netflix. Yeah, I, I get the sense that they probably have a relationship. Whoever's got the rights probably have the relationship with Hulu and HBO and then Criterion Channel. Mm. Well, Shanna, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what it was like constructing this list. You had over a thousand titles to choose from. <laughs> and I know you haven't seen all a thousand I've titles. I've only seen like a hundred or something ridiculously small. Was it hard to boil it down to 12? I think what was difficult was to arrange the order of them. Mm. I think I was more, probably more academical about how I ordered things this time around. Yes, it's, you know, from favorite to least favorite uh, in a sense, but I, I think I was definitely trying to be like, well, everybody should see this film mm -hmm. in, in the way that I made it. How about you? Well, okay, so we did a couple episodes back our 12 favorite movies of all time. And so no matter what lists we do, you know that those movies would be our number one movies in any particular topic. Now, thankfully, none of our 12 favorite respective lists of all time are on that collection. So we dodged a bullet there. But what I did do was I first went by what was in my 100 favorite movies of all time series of posts on the GibsonReview.com. And then... Yes, I had over 30 films that I had jotted down as I went through the entire list of what was in the collection. And it was very difficult to limit that to just 12 films for me. So I did what I could, and what you got is what you get is what I got. <laughs> you know? But there's so there's literally at least 10 other movies for sure that I, I put up there with uh, just as high as the ones you're about to hear about. So, Shanna, why don't you start us off with your 12th favorite film in the Criterion Collection? My number 12 is Lost in America, featuring Albert Brooks and Julie Haggerty. Albert Brooks and Monica Johnson wrote it, and of course, it's directed by Albert Brooks. This is such a fun film. It's one of those comedies that, I, that you and I quote here and there. 
we always quote the nest egg and uh, it's about this couple that have these pretty crazy careers uh, have obviously been able to squirrel away a lot of money i don't know how people do this <laughs> and they they're like in their 40s or something and they decide they're going to retire and explore America, like on Route 66 or, or whatever route they're picking. But they're going to start off their journey on this, you know, w what is it, an RV, a Winnebago? What, what, yeah, yeah, are they yeah. the same yeah. thing? I mean, um, uh, Winnebago is a brand of RV. Oh, oh okay. So th they've got their RV and they're going to go explore the, the country. And they start in Las Vegas and things go awry and they have to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And they have to be, they still have to love each other because they, they've only got each other and they have to kind of make this plan. And a lot of funny things happen. And I just love how Albert Brooks bitches throughout the movie. It's fantastic. And I like seeing Judy Haggerty's face. <laughs> so that's Lost in America. And it's not available to stream anywhere, but you can rent it from just about anywhere. Very cool. My 12th favorite is available on HBO Max, which you'll find to be the case for a large percentage of my list. They have an interesting collection there, especially if you go into the TCM hub of HBO Max. You'll find a treasure trove of riches there. Tampopo is one of the films and this film is a one that I was exposed to in college through a course we had to watch and analyze and discuss this film. And I was really struck. It's, it's, it's an, a film that was made in the 80s. And it's this hilarious, it, it's just like this, this hilarious, really surprising, like, wow, what the heck kind of comedy that pokes fun at Japanese culture. It pokes fun at different types of film tropes and film genres, including the Western, mm. the American Western. And it is just this brilliant hodgepodge of a, a, a comedy with all these different segments in it throughout with this through line about food and how we celebrate food or how or or how we behave around our food rituals and stuff and it is so unique and it's unlike anything else that you'll ever see brilliant and beautiful uh, sometimes disturbing but great all around that's tam popo and it is available on hbo max all right my number is that's a really great pick Number 11 for me is Lever to Heaven. And that is not really available to stream or rent really anywhere. Mm. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there, but you could buy it. <laughs> It'll be worth it, I promise. Mm -hmm. It's about a writer who falls in love with a woman who is rather devious and rather possessive. And just a really great film showing the lengths this woman will go to to have things her way have him to herself and not to anyone else of any kind or any relationship it's such it has this really great mystery thrillerness to it uh, it's directed by john m stahl and it features gene tierney and cornell wild my number 11 pick is richard linklater's before Trilogy. 
That's before sunrise, before sunset, and before midnight. Hey, I got that for you. You did, yes. This <laughs> is typically the case with these. It was a, a wonderful gift, actually. The two of the three are available on HBO Max. I think H, uh, Before Midnight is the outlier there, but of course they're available to, to rent. Uh, this is one of the things that cinephiles know Linklater best for. Some people know him best for Dazed and Confused, also part of the Criterion Collection, uh, one that I showed Shanna not that long ago. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. We might have forgotten uh, to, but you didn't seem too keen on that one. But the Before Trilogy is a beautiful, just beautiful and wonderful series or trilogy of films that are literally just about two people talking. Mm. And it's a great date film. And it's interesting as you get older, because they're made once every nine years, it's interesting to come to these films in different times in your life and see how you relate to them differently than maybe how you did when you were younger. One of the best love stories ever made, one of the best romantic dramas ever written and created a couple the best couple one of the best couples you will ever see in cinema as well mm. that's the before trilogy by richard linklater and you can find two or three of those on hbo max my number 10 is tom Popo. and you've kind of you know talked a lot about it but i'll tell you why it's my favorites it was one of those films that we saw were available when we went to Barnes and Noble and I was like do you know this one and you were like yeah I love that one so I was like okay well we'll buy it because if it's Criterion mm. and if you love it chances are I'll love it too mm-hmm. and I just love it for the food porn I think the food comedy you know there's a woman that's squeezing all the peaches in the grocery store oh, yeah. and then she's squeezing other things on the other side of the grocery store and this grocery clerk is running after her trying to stop her from feeling up all the food yeah <laughs> it's yeah. just it's great and you know like you said all these ronin are you know these soup ronins are helping um these ramen ronin Ah, that's funny there we go that that are helping out this woman to figure out how to make the best ramen and it's just a wonderful little adventure with little side things happening in between um you know like a a passionate couple playing around with an egg yolk and i'm like the disturbing part what is happening there what are they doing honey what are we watching you know and it's just it's really jarringly hilarious uh, so that is Tampopo, and I believe you said it's available on HBO. Yes, HBO Max. My 10th favorite film in the collection is All About Eve from 1950. Mm, I love that film. I do too as well. We have the lovely little digibook from, I think it's 20th Century Fox Studios. And I'm, I was really excited because that was on my wish list for a very long time. And then like the next year... Criteria and decided to add it to the collection. I was like, mm, damn it. But uh, it's it's a wonderful film that influenced many other films since essentially is an understudy trying to undermine or overshadow the star that she seems to, to idolize and be obsessed with. And it stars 
Betty Davis, principally, but also Thelma Ritter. I love Thelma Ritter so much. Yes, we're big fans of Thelma Ritter. She's fantastic. She's great in this film as well. Uh, but it's 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 also uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the voice of Shere Khan in Disney's Jungle Book mm. is in it as a, a primary supporting character, and he's just got this dry, droll manner of speaking and his sense of humor. He's great in it, and of course, there's of course the very early appearance of Marilyn Monroe in it, which that same character responds to hilariously. Uh, it's a great film, a wonderful film. Joseph Joseph Mankiewicz directed the film. If you watched Mank by David Fincher, it is that guy's brother who directed All About Eve. And uh, so it's, it's All About Eve from 1950. I love it. Tenth favorite film. Shanna, back to you. My number nine, which I really think should be the next one we buy, is Paris, Texas. I almost got that for you for Christmas. Oh, that would have been great, but I was pretty pleased with what you got me, so good job. I'm glad. <laughs> this stars one of my favorite actors who I just love, Harry Dean Stanton. And then we've also got Dean Stockwell, Natasha Kinski in there too. And this film is so great because it's it's a bit of a mystery, again. <laughs> I bet their mystery category is like half of their films. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah about a, a man who we in, are introduced to as a drifter. He, his brother comes and gets him. They go to L.A. and they're, they're talking about, you know, that we find out that this man's son is living with his brother and they're raising him as their own. And, you know, the brother is asking, like, what happened with you guys? What happened with your wife? We don't hear from her, but she sends us money. Um, we don't know where she is. We don't know. And it's this really great story about a father and a son reconnecting, but also about a father who lost his humanity and is trying to get it back mm. in a, a way I've never seen before. But also a, a, a great a great depiction of masculinity and and kind of facing the toxicity of it himself and and trying to overcome that and rebalance. Hmm. And that is available on HBO Max. Yeah, definitely worthwhile. It has one of the most beautiful third acts I've ever seen. I was really glad that you showed it to me and I stuck with it Hmm. too. And that was my first Criterion I ever watched. So yay, it was a good one. On the opposite end of the spectrum, my ninth favorite movie in the collection, in the Criterion Collection, is 1996's The Rock by Michael Bay. Now, yeah, <laughs> Michael Bay is in the Criterion Collection. Very unusual. Uh, he has Armageddon and The Rock in there, and I know those are probably the two films that... <laughs> Criterion's probably had to defend the most as part of being <laughs> in the collection because you're like, what are you thinking? Armageddon? Like, anyway, so these are the two action-heavy films. There's also RoboCop was one of the first ten that they did. That's out of print, but if you're lucky, you can find a used copy for about 30 bucks, 20 to 30 bucks. Which is just as much as you'd pay for one now. Yes. 
But anyway, The Rock, I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite action films of all time. You have Sean Connery, Nick Cage, trying to deal with a hostage situation on Alcatraz. And Ed Harris and Michael Morse, or uh, yeah, I think his name is Michael Morse, are the two lead people uh, that are heading up this quote-unquote mission that is attempting to right wrongs done to veterans. Totally misguided villain kind of situation. Ed Harris is wonderful in it as the the villain here, uh, but so is the 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 rapport between Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. So it is a fun relationship. One hundred percent, one of the greatest car chases I've ever seen in cinema. I love I love The Rock. I think it's Michael Bay's best film. So uh, that's number nine for me. My brother would watch that movie on repeat. Mm. So when he eventually moves here, we should just gift him the rock criterion. (laughs) If you can get it. I don't know if it's still in print. Mm. I don't know if it's still in print. But yeah, that's a two-disc DVD, too. It's got a lot of features on the second DVD. Mm. What's your eighth favorite criterion film? Well, how could I not have a David Lynch film? Mm. It's Mulholland Drive from 2001, and it's got Naomi Watts and, oh, what's her name? Yeah, she's not the the, the co star is not as well known. Uh, Laura Herring, I think. There we it go. Is. Laura Herring as well as Justin Thoreau are in this film. And what's happening here is is it's all very confusing. And the more I watch it, the more I'm able to tapestry it together what I think is happening. Mm. But with David Lynch films, as as some of you might know, uh, you know, except for the the straight and narrow film. What's yeah, that one? Like the straight story like or the straight elephant story man. or elephant man. This is the, you, there's nothing straight about this. Yeah. <laughs> this is like you you won't be able to really you have to figure out what's going on by yourself and it's all subjective because mm. it's going to be based on your own experiences. But what you can gather from this film, what does, you know, what is the grounding factor here is that again, it's a mystery. And Naomi Watts is coming to LA to be a film star. So it's got this very Hollywood, big eyes, kind of dreamy-like quality to it. And then, you know, we're trying to find out Herring is has amnesia. Mm-hmm. And then they find another person and they're trying to solve that person's identity too. Mm. So there's a lot of mystery stuff happening amongst all the glamour, but then it's also like putting Hollywood under this dark lens. So a sinister lens. (laughs) Yeah. So that's Mulholland Drive and you can watch that on HBO Max and tell me what you think is happening there because my interpretation of it changes every few years. My eighth favorite film in the collection, in the Criterion Collection, is 1952's Limelight, starring and hmm. by Charlie Chaplin, available on HBO Max. This is probably the only notable late-period Charlie Chaplin film. Uh, some people are fans of Monsieur Vaudot, also in the Criterion Collection. I think that, I don't know, I've, I've always been much more partial to Limelight. It's this film where... It has a little bit of of a Star is Born quality to it where you have an older artist, a performer, trying to help a younger, just getting started artist, performer. She's a ballet dancer, I believe, and she's very depressed. She wants to kill herself, and 
he's nursing her because of uh, some I think she's ill or or something I can't remember she's nursing he's nursing her and also trying to guide her and 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 help her really kind of turn her perspective on life around and as someone who's looking back on life and what sort of mistakes he may have had or reflecting on his career and you kind of get this thin veil of of Chaplin in there like this guy is kind of a thin cipher for Chaplin himself looking back at uh, at the industry his career and and how he is treated or what his thoughts are and all that sort of stuff it's just wonderful beautiful as one of his most beautiful scores ever I absolutely love the score to limelight and mm. it's it's funny and you also have some appearances from people like Buster Keaton in it which is quite notable it's really fun and excellent so that is limelight from 1952 it's on hbo max it's my eighth favorite film from the criterion collection my number seven is by gilmar del toro and that is pan's labyrinth i also love the cover of this criterion mm-hmm. uh film pan's labyrinth is just beautiful it's you know taking place five years after the Spanish uh, five years after the end of the Spanish Civil War, and what's happening is Ophelia, a young girl, and her pregnant mother are taken to the countryside to be with, you know, her new stepfather, who is a general, a ruthless general, uh, trying to squash out the what's left of the resistance. Mm. And what's interesting about this film is she starts having these fantastical things happening to her. She's exposed to a mythical fawn creature, uh, fairies, different magical elements such as medicine, root medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just really interesting because you've got this absolutely horrific. uh, I'm remembering more and more (laughs) the absolutely horror horrors of war on a small scale to you know large like just really looking at like well what happens if you put one key member of war in a sort of village setting how much damage can he himself do never mind his soldiers well it has to do with the sadism of this particular guy Mm -hmm. not just a guy who's in war Mm -hmm. he's a very sadistic general you know it's one of those films where it's like that person always needs to be in a war to justify all his disgusting behavior. Mm. But coming back to Ophelia, she is, she's given magical tasks that she needs to achieve. And there's, you know, one tends to think like, well, how much of this is her imagination and how much of this is possibly PTSD dealing with all the horrors that are around her. So a really fantastic film. I highly recommend it. Pan's Labyrinth on HBO Max. Oh, great film. Great pick. One of Guillermo del Toro's greatest films by far. Mm Mm-hmm. My seventh favorite film in the Criterion Collection is one that we're starting to get into what was included in my hundredth favorite movies of all time. It is Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine, available on HBO Max. And I'll just read a little bit of what I uh, wrote about this film. I, I have a reluctant love for Michael Moore. I'm I'm able to recognize his flaws. He can be a little smug and his penchant for theatrics sometimes does very little to help his cause and sometimes hurts his films too. But Moore is also one of the most passionate people about his country's potential that I have ever seen. 
His films typically examine injustices or issues in America and asks, how can we be better than this? Because surely we are. Bowling for Columbine is one of his most successful documentaries because it is the one that seems to be the least certain of the answers, the one with the least grandstanding. It is an exploration, a journey for answers to our nation's obsession with guns and what can be done about gun violence. It is funny, insightful, eye-opening, shocking, and moving, and I would also say sadly still relevant, too, as that... that the fact that guns are tied to our constitution so closely, it's just constantly made this, this pervasive issue in our culture that's just gotten worse and worse over time. So uh, Bowling for Columbine, I think, is his greatest film. It's one of my favorites of his and it is, as such, my seventh favorite movie in the Criterion Collection. My number six is not available to stream on the platforms we use. It is The Silence of the Lambs. It's not, huh? Hmm. It's not. It's, you know, on platforms that we don't talk about. Right, right, right. Yeah. So this stars two of my favorite people, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is a murderous cannibal. And Jodie Foster is highly trained, highly capable, strong woman who is trying to break down sexism and barriers as she tries to solve this um, serial murder case that's occurring mm. she's been uh, she is being helped by Anthony Hopkins as a way to try and figure out the psyche of the serial killer it feels like um, if I remember correctly this is kind of like the new Quantico type training where it's okay mm. here's our serial killers we've kind of honed in a pattern here as to try to identify you know what where they might be coming from how we can identify them and so it you know she's definitely above the police detectives officials that are in that town that she's working with and so uh, it's very interesting seeing how she comes up against men that are just really don't take her seriously at all mm. so it's a it's a great mystery murder mystery it's fantastic performances i love this film my sixth favorite film in the collection is broadcast news from 1987 mm. also like the rest of this list a part of my 100 favorite films of all time this james l brooks film was a discovery of mine that I made through the AFI's 100 Greatest Comedies list. I have always loved this film as a love triangle film and as a film about journalism. The rise of the 24-hour news cycle began with the creation of CNN in the 80s and was made worse by the creation of Fox News in the 90s. Broadcast News at the, in 1987, foretold what would become of the decline of credible journalism over time, uh, particularly network journalism or TV journalism. The characters are what make both elements of the film work. Their ambition and their respective roles in the news, their insecurities, etc. The leads, Albert Brooks, Holly Hunter, and William Hurt, sell those characters and everything about the script. 
It is an insightful and often hilarious film that I have cherished since I first saw it 20 years ago. And the Criterion edition of it has a wonderful essay in it. Uh, maybe two essays, but definitely one essay for sure in it that kind of talks about different uh, themes in the film, different aspects of how like bound different like lines that the characters will cross and boundaries and of of who they are as people and how they relate to each other as such and it's a wonderful essay if you can get the the criterion edition of broadcast news i recommend it so it is my sixth favorite film in the collection my number five comes in a spine number 700 what a lovely round number <laughs> <laughs> this is one of wes anderson's film but uh roald doll's classic children's novel fantastic mr fox oh. i love this film i love how wes anderson took it and stayed true to roald doll's bravery of depicting animalistic tones whether it's of animals doing it or humans doing it like it doesn't shy away from the meanness and harshness whether it's little harsh or big harsh you know Mm. it's a stop animation film it's beautifully animated it's so gorgeous the colors are so warm and the voice performances are fantastic too we've got george clooney Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, William Defoe, and Bill Murray, just to name a few. And I, I especially love the relationship that the family has with each other, you know. The cousin comes to visit, and the cousin is outgoing, and it's fantastic. And the, the father can relate to him very easily, but he can't really relate to his own son because of his son. His son's kind of going through an introvert kind of phase where mm-hmm. he yeah. he's figuring out who he is he's picking and choosing what he's going to be you know you can tell that objectively when it's not your own kid and i just love how th- there's a scene where one of them gets really wild and one of them gets scratched yes, yes. and i was like oh yeah no that's totally probably what would happen yeah. <laughs> you know and they don't shy away from that they also don't shy away from the horrors of uh, farmers protecting their chickens from the foxes so um i really love this film what and it's available on disney plus believe it or not oh that is surprising actually Mm -hmm. it is definitely one of the best adaptations of a raw doll story Mm -hmm. out there also one of my favorite covers for sure my fifth favorite film in the criterion collection is from 1936 it is modern times Starring, raw, uh, starring, directed, written, all it is by Charlie Chaplin. It is available on HBO Max. Uh, this film is one of the most brilliant comedies, one of his most brilliant comedies, and his, one of Chaplin's most iconic comedies in the literal sense of the word. Because when people think about Chaplin's films... What is most likely to come up in their mind are images from this film. This film is so much a part of his legacy. I would venture to guess that uh, most people have not seen Chaplin's work, but, but at least have seen moments or images from this film. So it's a brilliant film for its social and industrial commentary, as well as being one of Chaplin's actual laugh-out-loud funniest films and, and just 
most incisive and smartest films. This is Chaplin at his peak here. He would make The Great Dictator afterwards, and I think everything would kind of go downhill from there. I welcome you to check out my feature on Chaplin's work on the Gibson Review blog for more details about this film and the rest of his, his career. So that is Modern Times, my fifth favorite film in the Criterion Collection, available on HBO Max. My number four is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and this is one of those examples of it getting the immediate criterion treatment, and also one of those, like, why do we not have this yet? (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely one of those, like, funds situations. This is available to stream on Hulu, so it's kind of funny, like, two films that came out the same year that instantly got the criterion treatment portrait of a lady on fire and parasite they're both on hulu which i find rather amusing and interesting i want to know how that worked out Mm. but anyway this is a a great film wonderful film about woman and womanhood and lesbianism and uh it's it's happening during the 18th century in france Uh, a woman is brought to a secluded sort of secluded island there are other people but it's it's very secluded property with on the within the island and this artist is coming to uh, paint a portrait of a woman as a wedding gift to her fiance and it's it's very an interesting insight into womanhood because not only are we looking at the relationship between these two women and what is expected of them by society as uh, separately, but also we're looking at the woman that helps um, and what is expected of her and how is her story going in this this film. It's a fantastic film. We've spoken at length about it in a previous episode, mm-hmm. but I highly recommend it. Check it out on Hulu. Just go buy the Criterion. You won't be sorry you know but this this is a great love story that kind of transcends time and societal expectations yeah i definitely recommend our main review of that episode from last year also uh triple f rated i believe Mm -hmm. yep uh celine siyama directed and wrote that film i believe Uh, my fourth favorite film in the criterion collection is 12 angry men by sydney lumet and that film I was right, is from 1957. Got a good memory sometimes. For those things, anyway. Um, I thought this story about shredding all prejudices and assumptions and sticking to facts in the name of making a judgment on the rest of someone's life was incredible for its time. We're presented with a case that seems, on the surface, somewhat clear-cut. We're given physical evidence and witnesses to the crime. What's great is how the film carefully puts in doubt each element of the case. The question quickly becomes not whether or not the defendant, a lower-class Latino teen, did the crime. The question is, if it's possible, he didn't. Is there doubt that he did the crime? Nobody knows for certain he didn't kill his father, but they need to be certain he did in order to provide a guilty verdict. At the time... Only Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb were known names in the, the, the stars in this film, and they are spectacular. I love them. Fonda was a major star in the late 30s and 40s, and Cobb had starred in On the Waterfront a few years before, which almost made this list. In hindsight, 
half the cast is a who's who of the era who got their break in this film. Martin Balsam, who would go on to star in Psycho, Cape Fear, All the President's Men. John Fiedler, who was in The Odd Couple and was the original voice of Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Piglet comes from 12 Angry Men. Yeah. <laughs> the voice, at least. Jack Klugman was TV's Odd Couple and Quincy Emmy. E.G. Marshall, he would be in Superman 2, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and Jack Warden, he was in Donovan's Reef, Shampoo, and All the President's Men. All of this is anchored by a new director named Sidney Lumet, who would go on to have quite the run in the 70s with Serpico, Murder on the Orient Express, Dog Day Afternoon, and Network. Yet this is one of the few classics I wouldn't mind actually seeing remade with a director and cast of similar caliber. Uh, I rarely, rarely will say that about a classic film, but I could see this film being relevant today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With, uh, with the, a great pedigree behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great film. That's uh, 12 Angry Men from 1957. It's my fourth favorite film in the collection. My third favorite is not available to stream. It is by Bong Joon-ho. From 2003, Memories of Murder. This is number 1073 on the spine. And yes. so it's going to be, re be released shortly. Yes. And something that's fun that I don't think we quite mentioned about Criterion is they always give you, you know, who directed it and what country it's from. Yeah. So I looked up South Africa and there's nothing. There's nothing there right now. <laughs> so is, even though they'll give you the country, yeah. there, there might not necessarily be anything in there. Is there yet. a film from South Africa that you think should be part of the collection? I think E. Lollipop, mm -hmm. you know, would probably be one. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'm not very good at South African cinema. Mm. But that one is probably you think it's one of the better um i you know it's shocking i haven't seen that so oh, i surprised. can't actually say anything oh okay okay um anyway back to this one yes back to this one you know uh memories of murder memories of murder it's about um a south korean serial killer um that kind of rocks a rural community they it's this frustratingly more than a decade long uh, mystery that just this can't be solved and it's bringing in this element of the hold that the the government had on people and how it influenced mm. how things were done such as investigations and uh, investigative techniques mm -hmm. and it's just a really great film I don't want to say too much about it because I think it's one of those films that you've got to watch it slowly unfolds and as we all know with Bon Joon Ho, there's there's some dark comedy to it, you know. Mm. So uh, great performances, and that's not available um, on the platforms that we talk about. I'm surprised. I, I'm not surprised that it's on your list, but I'm surprised it's so high on your list. I didn't expect that. I think because you know it's not just a regular crime mystery mm -hmm. in the way it's filmed mm -hmm. the way it's filmed it's it's bringing in so many other elements of of its time of its culture mm. and it really heightens the fear you know in a way that isn't so hollywood bash you over the head kind mm. of way interesting interesting that's a, a surprise my third favorite film in the criterion collection is by akira kurosawa it is Akiru hey. from 1952. I was exposed to this film in college. 
I believe, among many other Japanese films that I had to see, this course in college included two by Akira Kurosawa, Ikiru and Dursu Ozawa. I love both of them, but especially Ikiru. I, it helped me. It was a nice gateway into Kurosawa, and I, I love him, and I've seen only maybe like half of his films, but he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Ikiru has a reflective nature to it. It has a, a carpe diem kind of attitude in a way. Um, it's, it's essentially about this guy who's a desk jockey, and he gets this terminal diagnosis of cancer, and he realizes that he's just been letting life go by, and he hasn't really been living. You know, it, it's this idea of wanting your life to matter that I've always related to, to have mm -hmm. done something significant and not to have wasted life away behind a desk. I find greatly relatable. The realization that the main character has is heartbreaking and it affects me deeply. And Takasha Shimura plays the main character just tremendously and beautifully. Uh, in the end, he does manage to make a small impact to a neighborhood. It isn't anything that will cause his name to be uttered by future generations or even change anyone's life significantly, but it does provide something to a community. And, you know, maybe that's the least we can hope to achieve with our lives is just to have done something that has a small impact at the very least. So uh, Ikiru uh, by Kiriko Saw is my third favorite film in the Criterion Collection. It is available on HBO Max. My number two is available on Hulu. Any yes, guesses? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. There's only two that I know of. Oh, okay. What is it? So it's Parasite. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, you really love that movie. I, I really have found out that I do. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like this really great dark comedy thriller which seems to be Bong Joon-ho's calling card so if you watch enough crime films if you watch enough thrillers you're going to start looking for well who's going to make fun of that a little bit you know and, and he totally does and he's you know so relevant with what he incorporates within each film Parasite in case you don't know what it's about is looking at two families in Seoul of completely different classes living in completely different situations and what that class divide is like and how how that affects families a uh, huge commentary on capitalism and the class divide i love the performances in this film i love the comedy i love the thrill i love the mystery i think that this is one of the greatest films made and i'm glad that it got the criterion treatment right out the gate I don't really have much more to say about this because, of course, we have reviewed this film before. I have talked about it a few times, but it's not in talk jail. So, <laughs> it's like, right, yeah, you know, yeah. I can talk about it more. I, I really look forward to what else, what else comes from this. And, you know, actually taking the time to look at the Criterion version of this, seeing all the special features just deepens my appreciation for the, the making of this film. Very cool. My second favorite film in the Criterion Collection is also by Akira Kurosawa. It is 1954's Seven Samurai, which I think is number two on the uh, spine number two in the collection. The film is over three and a half hours long, but I often 
forget that because it never really feels that long. I'm usually so caught up in the story and the incredible cast of characters. Many films have featured an ensemble team of characters who work together to protect good from bad or what have you. Very few of them do the work to develop those characters so that when shit goes down, you really feel a sense of loss. And that's what this film does. There are the many themes that make this film an incredible achievement. But the balance between the story's action among samurai and with bandits and the character development is certainly one of them. It's one of those movies that's fun to discuss favorite characters with friends afterwards. But I love all seven. Due to its length, this isn't a film that I watch often. But I'm always glad to show it to any friend who asks. It's it's an extraordinary film. And of course, you know, some people may be aware of its Hollywood remake, The Magnificent Seven, which was a Western that had its own thing. And it was kind of like, in a way, Seven Samurai was a little Western Japanese film mm. in its style. And it got criticism by Jap- in the Japanese community for that. And then, so he's talking to Westerns. Westerns talk back with Seven Samurai or Mag- Magnificent Seven. It's kind of cool. Uh, uh, anyway, it's a great film. Seven Samurai, 1954. And that is available on HBO Max. All right. You get one guess for what my number one might be. Gosh, I'm trying to think of all the time. M? Is it M? No. Okay, that's my one guess. You got it. <laughs> it's like you don't get to have another try. Night of the Hunter is my number one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah, course. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So this was one of those situations where we got to go to Scarecrow, the actual movie store, uh, rental store in Seattle. And we, you know, Jeff was like, well, go to the noir section and see if you can find something. And there was a criterion there. And I thought, okay, well, then... That must be it, right? It's it's going to be good if it's Criterion and it's mm-hmm. in the noir section. And it has been one of my favorite. It's beautifully shot. I just read here on the Criterion website that Night of the Hunter was restored by the UCLA Film and Television Archive in cooperation with MGM Studios with funding provided by Robert Sturm uh, and the Film Foundation. So that might be another hurdle to consider when Criterion is trying to take something on, is that okay. they might need funding, additional funding for restoration, etc. Because I, I know they're not just going to be like, oh, well, we'll just take this version that we've got, guys. And No, they're going to probably restore something from 1955, for ah. instance. Uh, so something to think about. This is a fantastic film. It is the only film directed by Charles Lawton. I wish he had done more because his eye and his way of telling a story is so beautiful, so subtle, so thrilling, you know, slowly unravels or slowly opens and, and gives us a lot of trust as the audience to, you know, have patience to follow along with the story. What is happening in this film? Well, there's this creepy ass guy. (laughs) He's so freaking creepy. He's actually, you're making him sound worse. He's actually very charismatic. Well, that's what's creepy about him. Yeah. A creepy, charismatic, chaotic asshole. You he's, know? he's able to win over. He's a con man. Yeah. He's able to win over an entire town. Hiding behind being a reverend. Yes. Oh, well, if you're a reverend, surely you're a good guy. If you're a criterion, surely it's good. Played by uh, Robert Mitchum. Yes. And... He is trying to find out where his cellmate stashed some money. 
Yes. And he goes as far as marrying the the widow, and he goes as far as trying to, you know, win the children over, but the children know something's wrong, and they go on this kind of escape. They run away from home, and where he is slowly catching up with them, and this guy has this airy whistle that, you know, whenever the kids hear it, they're like, oh, no, he's nearby. Right, You yeah, know, and they're, yeah. s- they're just always trying to get away. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love the performances. I love the story. I love the cinematography. It's so beautiful. And there's a scene where they're, you know, going down a stream and you just see all these beautiful lily pads and lotus flowers and moonlight glimmering on the, the water. It's fantastic that they thought to preserve this film. And I really appreciate that they did that. Mm-hmm. And this film was actually, you see a scene from it in Promising Young Woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. So lots right. of fun. That's mm-hmm. my number one. How about you, my love? Can you guess? Do I get to guess? Go ahead. Well, you've already said the Before Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Is it Boyhood? No. Oh, okay. What is it? So it was number 33 on my overall list of uh, favorite films of all time. It is The Princess Bride from 1987. Oh, for heaven's sakes, really? Yes. Okay, then. The Princess Bride is the perfect fairy tale and family movie. I mean, Peter Falk's grandfather sells the movie pretty well. It's got action, comedy, adventure, pirates, creatures, torture, a giant, sword play. (laughs) What more could you possibly want? How about some of the most quotable dialogue ever to grace pop culture? You know the ones that I'm talking about. There are many. The characters are so distinct and memorable, played wonderfully and irreplaceably by Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Mandy Patinkin, Billy Crystal, Carol Kane, Christopher Guest, Chris Sarandon, Peter Falk, and a pre-Wonder Years Fred Savage. He is the cutest part of that film. <laughs> okay. And the most annoying. <laughs> the Princess Bride is feel-good comfort food, and... Shanna, I cannot believe... Oh, come on. Just going to throw me under the bus here <laughs> in our 100th episode. This is what movie lovers are about. <laughs> oh, I know. You're not, you're not going to shoot down my pick. And, and, and likewise, I don't shoot down your picks. But generally... My pick is good. You, you, you my don't pick is good. Sh- yeah, it is. You don't shoot down... You do shoot down The Princess Bride for some reason. Uh, a great board game also, by the way, that we it's have. It's a fantastic board game. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, yes. Princess Bride is my favorite movie in the criterion collection so far but what is your favorite movie in the criterion collection let us know email us at the gibson review at gmail.com or message us on instagram in order to enter to win that beautiful postcard notebook by criterion february 15th i think will be the deadline to enter to win Shanna, before we talk about the next episode of The Movie Lovers, why don't you let people know where they can find you online? Happy 100th episode, my love. It's been great recording with you, even when you throw me under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Likewise. And it's fun throwing you on the bus. No, it's fun joking Uh around. Yeah, no, it is fun playing around. Yeah. Yeah, we have to have that. Okay. So you can find me at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography on Instagram and on Flickchart as Spellbinding A. So 
you can, of course, go to thegibsonreview.com. You'll find past episodes of The Movie Lovers on there, as well as a plethora of features and reviews. Right now, you will find the first in my series of Disney Through the Years. Definitely check that out. It is an introduction and a review of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Keep an eye out for future entries of that starting in february actually i'll do the 40s in february and then the 50s in march and uh, 50s i'll start doing the live action movies as well because that's when disney hit the ground running with live action films mm. it's gonna um, be very exciting seeing you get through this massive project yeah and kill yourself halfway doing it you know yeah it's it's a massive undertaking it turns out so fingers crossed that i can actually get through that uh go to as i mentioned before the gibson 99 on instagram i do polls there too check it out the latest poll that we did was i took every single number one favorite movie of every poll from the past year and made a bracket poll out of them to find out what your favorite number one favorite was from 2020's polls. I might do this annually if I remember, if I'm able to. And your favorite ended up being your favorite DC movie, The Dark Knight. That beat out your favorite 70s movie, Star Wars. So uh, hopefully soon I'll have another poll on there. Probably have another poll on there by the time this hits your ears. So check that out. Go to facebook.com slash the Gibson review. And of course, flick chart the Gibson 99 next time on the movie lovers. Jenna, I think what we're going to try to do is take another crack at seeing Nomadland. Now, okay, is it actually available right now? Uh, that's a damn good or question. Or is it becoming it, available? It's supposed to hit availability on the 29th of, of January. So that's a few days before this podcast's post. So it should be available when people are listening to this podcast. Mm. Fingers crossed. And with that, we will do our favorite Americana movies. Oh, finally. Yes. Yay. We'll try that out. We tried to do it before, and then um, <laughs> no, Mad Lad didn't actually release. So we're going to try that this time. That episode should be available on Tuesday, February 23rd. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Happy 100th.